Please leave me a rating and a review. Yeah. Oh, the image of just like him in his like nightgown with like his butt hanging out, like running down the hallway. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it is, it's weirdly comical. Sarah Glesney, a perfectly pleasant polyglot provides provoking podcast playlists with an interesting interview. Sorry for the lame, lackluster, lazy, lexicographically loathsome alliteration. Anyway, her father had multiple myeloma, a cancer of white blood cells that affects your bones. This put him in the ICU, which brought on delirium. He also had smoked cigarettes and was overweight. So on top of all of that, he was judged for being sick. We talk about all of this, or Sarah tells me about all of this in today's interview. Here is the theme song. Welcome to your eulogy, the podcast where we talk to someone about their life so that we can talk about their death. Um, today, my guest is, I haven't checked with you how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> Glesney. Sarah Glesney. Um, and uh, she is a translator. Why? I don't have a good bio for you. That's all right. <laughs> Would you I'll like, fill you in. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, I'll hand the reins over to you. Yeah. So currently, I guess my main... Uh, <laughs> source of income is doing event planning for a cultural nonprofit in the Twin Cities. Um, but I also do translation work on the side and have taught language before. So I speak English, clearly, uh, French and Spanish with a high proficiency. I don't call myself fluent anymore, but I've interpreted and translated between those three languages. And it's kind of the big thing I'm passionate about and event planning for a f- French and English language workplace has been uh, a way that I can jokingly say that I get paid to speak French all day. <laughs> Let's talk about your dad because we're yeah. going to talk about um, his um, his final uh, couple months in the hospital. Um, um, let's talk about him before we talk about what will um, the sensational, crazy. Um, health concerns so that we know who we're talking about. What, what was he like? Yeah. Um, so my dad's name was John Glesney, John Roger Glesney. Uh, he honestly just had the catchiest smile and laugh. When I talk to my family, almost everyone just says like, God, I miss his sense of humor. We always got along despite the fact that I kind of despised his politics, mm-hmm. which was a really interesting thing. Like, Growing up in Minneapolis, it's very easy to put yourself in like a little lefty um, bubble. But my dad was not. (laughs) I believe he might have identified as a libertarian to get specific. Uh, But despite any kind of political differences or economic thoughts that were different, he, he was really caring. He asked people really frank questions and I think was just good at getting to know people. 
and he was someone who was broadly accepting of differences. So that yeah. sounds great. Um, what were some of the uh, things you disliked about him? <laughs> um, he had a temper that he let build. And it's funny because it's something I kind of can maybe step back and see I inherited. <laughs> like like the Minnesotan passive aggressive or? No, not necessarily. Or pressure cooker. Pressure cooker. Totally. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, all in a good mood and like making those jokes for a long time. And then I think he would let things build. And then one day would have an eruption, like, you know, have yelling. Um, never, I would say I've, I'm super fortunate uh, among my friends and people that I know that I would not call my experience in childhood in any way abusive. Um, but, you know, people have eruptions of anger and that sticks with you. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately a memory that is a part of what I have in my mind still as my dad. Yeah. Here's a quote taken from the NCBI's website. That's the National Center for Biotechnology Information. Delirium is characterized by impaired cognition with nonspecific manifestations. In critically ill patients, it may develop secondarily to multiple precipitating or predisposing causes. Although it can be transient and reversible syndrome, its occurrence in intensive care units uh, it's, its occurrence in intensive care unit patients may be associated with long-term cognitive dysfunction. This condition is often under-recognized by treating physicians leading to inappropriate management. Does any of that um, strike a chord with you? Yeah, I, I was tempted to interrupt you to say ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, yeah, so my dad was probably ill for a lot longer than he was diagnosed with a type of cancer called multiple myeloma. It's a cancer that affects the bones and the blood primarily. So you could probably imagine that it's very painful because it's just kind of everywhere in your body once you really have it. Um, and it's a deep ache because it's in the bone. And now the day he went to the hospital. And so when he was submitted it was because he, he collapsed and he just couldn't get I, up. I, you know, drove as fast as I could to meet my mother at the hospital because I got the call frantically from her. And right away in the ER, he was, you know, being given a lot of different painkillers. So naturally, people act a little bit goofy. Decided to transfer him to the intensive care unit. He'd been scheduled to have a back surgery. They just couldn't diagnose what was going on with him. The test for myeloma is really specific. So hmm. he ended up being in the ICU for about three months. And during that time, he developed what you just described, delirium. Yeah, it, it was something I'd never even heard of delirium other than like the Belgian beer <laughs> <laughs> before my dad went into the hospital. So it was, I don't know, it just felt bizarre that this is a thing I'd never even come across. And then it so suddenly was a huge reason for distress and pain in my life. Yeah. Did you develop any anger for the hospital or the um, the workers? Yeah, I, I had a huge range of feelings about the different doctors and specialists and nurses who were attending to my dad. So there were some really incredible people. There's a palliative care nurse, um, the one who explained it to us, Mary at Abbott. Like, bless her if she ever hears this. She was seriously an angel to my family. 
Um, and then there were nurses who I didn't know, but I, I remember specifically one of them just kind of saying in this really dismissive, angry way about how my dad was doing all these things that destroyed his own chance at recovery mm-hmm. and his own quality of care. And hearing her, I just kind of, you know, I'm not saying that the job of nursing is easy. I have a couple of friends who um, have gone through nursing school and I know it's not a picnic. <laughs> yeah. But it was this thing where it's like, man, you got to you gotta try to maintain compassion and you got to get it. If, if someone's in excruciating pain, which really probably almost anyone living with cancer has to be at some point or another, um, you can't hold it against that individual personally. It's like I ended up just digging into trying to find out what delirium was and why I hadn't heard about it. And I know I read a good number of articles all about the tie between um, intensive care units because they're hectic environments. Mm -hmm. There are lights on. There are machines beeping. There are nurses and specialists and doctors running around talking. And it's all because all these people are, you know, in a state where you don't know when the next time is that they're going to need uh, something as serious as resuscitation to just when they're going to need um, assistance because they're, you know, doing what my dad did, pulling out their tubes. Yeah. Yeah, I read that um, there's a lot of, a lot of times delirium can be caused because of painkillers or, um, yeah, all, all the environmental noises, uh, getting off a sleep cycle. And so... There was a list of non-pharmacological things you can do, like um, you know, uh, you know, cognitive stimulation, being around people, checking in with people um, and the doctors regularly, so you know what's going on. And then I was like, okay, these all sound good. And then it said pharma- pharmacological approaches, and I was like, okay. And then let's see what the other side is. And it was just like, just try not to, <laughs> like mm-hmm. giving drugs at at this state. Like, it's really hard. But what do you do? Right. You know, people are in pain. Um, They can't sleep naturally anyway because they're in pain and because they're in a weird environment. How there was one day, and I think that this is kind of a common delirium side effect, where he just was like scheming with me on how he was going to get out of the hospital. (laughs) And he's just like, like grabs my arm and is like, all right, Sasa, you're gonna like help me like lower this side of the bed. I'm gonna take off. And I just was like in between crying in sadness and crying at like the humor of it (laughs) that and and it was just like okay he's you know a part of him is still there because this is like it was it was a weird thing where it's like he's desperate he wants to get out because he hated where he was understandably Mm -hmm. like hospitals are depressing as hell (laughs) they are like a certain kind of whitewashed sterile hell but he he also like it almost felt like a joke yeah i mean it's hilarious (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the image of just like him in his like nightgown with like his butt hanging out, like running down the hallway. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it is, it's weirdly comical. Um, but yeah, it had its, it's really darker moments too. Like that same day then later, my mom and I left and we were picking up, uh, I think we were like down the road at a pharmacy picking up her vitamins and she gets a call from him. That's just like, so you got to get me out of here. Like you got you have to get me out of here. I can't be here. Like they're, they're trying to do stuff to me. I don't know what they're doing. And it's like, I don't think any kind of medical malpractice was happening. I don't think anything 
really bad was happening to my father, except for the fact that he had this terrible condition going on. Um, but that he called out of desperation thinking he was in like danger where he was. Do you feel that um, society, do you feel your dad was judged um, by society because of his smoking and because he was overweight? Yeah, um, definitely. Actually, that was the thing. I didn't, I didn't think to mention this earlier when we were talking about like nursing and hospital staff, but when the paramedics came to help my dad um, get to the emergency room, uh, my mom overheard one of them. I can't remember like the precise words, but make essentially a fat joke as they were helping my dad who was in like a like brutally painful state. And when I heard that, I was just so disgusted. And I was like, God, I wish I knew who that was because I, like there's this part of me that just wants to like wreck their life and be like, you don't deserve to do your job. You don't deserve to be close to people who are in excruciating pain mm. or dangerous states. If you are going to take that moment to mock them, like that's so despicable. And I definitely don't think most paramedics are that way. Uh, but that was really disappointing. I don't think any of the doctors or anyone else, you know, said anything specifically like uh, derogatory about his weight or his smoking habits, which was good. And the fact that my dad had quit smoking for just a few years before he was admitted was something that a lot of people were like, oh, he should be really proud of himself. Um, but it is interesting. Yeah. The ways in which we decide to judge other people for their decisions with their bodies, mm -hmm. because like, you know, who, who are we to judge? Everyone gets their body. I don't think my dad thought that he would live to be 80 or 90. Like that wasn't really in his plan. I don't know if he hoped to go in his, I don't think he hoped to go in his early fifties either. Yeah. Um, but I think that he like lived life very fully. Like he, not when I was a kid, but before I was a kid, he like partied hard. He like liked drinking. He liked smoking cigarettes. Even when I was a kid. Um, he traveled a lot, like he did all these different things that are not necessarily good for your health in the long run, but are like so good for you mentally and like spiritually, dare I say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if grief isn't linear, then your lifespan shouldn't be either, you know, totally. <laughs> you can still, still have, have the full life. Yeah, I was just kind of wondering about the smoking thing just because it's um, it's a cancer that kind of gets ignored because I think we um, I think we think people deserve lung cancer in a way, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there, there's a billion things we could talk about related to cigarettes in society because oh, it, totally. it touches so much. But yeah, and it's it's actually funny to be <laughs> on that cusp, like culturally of I'm I'm an American like you know citizenship wise and everything um but I speak French fluently when I lived in France I lived in a very rural place um which they call la France profonde which literally just means deep France <laughs> and it's like Parisians you know mock that that those parts of France and the French who live in those areas mock like people who live in the capital <laughs> but uh I think of like culturally what smoking still is today in France. And it's just like, yeah, all my buds in the countryside there, like 
you smoke cigarettes in your house. Like you probably don't even open your windows while you do it. <laughs> and yeah. that it's not, it's maybe changing a little bit there, but it's like smoking is, kind of, it's like a weird classes thing too, even when I think about it, that it's like those friends didn't, weren't like teeming with money. And yeah. I think even in America, it's that way too. That like, you know, you see like, you see a nurse on break smoking a cigarette outside of a hospital. You see like people who like work and use their bodies a lot. Like whether you're working in a restaurant or at a construction site, it's like a nice habit that you do to like give yourself some kind of release. Sarah's eulogy. One line from a song. Yep. So I'll just start by uh, reading it in French. La nuit qui meurt pour voir un nouveau jour naître. La nuit qui meurt pour voir un nouveau jour naître. La nuit qui meurt pour voir un nouveau jour naître. La nuit qui meurt pour voir un nouveau jour naître. So, um, that was in French, <laughs> and in English it translates roughly to The night that dies to see a new day be born. Um, and it's a lyric from a song called Ballade Brésilienne by Gaël Faye. Well, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Um... I hope I wish the best for you and your family. Um, thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. This has been your eulogy. My name is Matthew Schneeman. I edited and did the music for this episode. If you have any questions or you want to be on the podcast, email me at your eulogymail at gmail.com. And if you can leave ratings and reviews, it's always great. Um, that's it. Thank you. I'll see you next week. <laughs>